It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley. He's in our broadcast studios in San Diego. Road trip, baby. We're doing my portion of our Zoom broadcast from my cottage in the northern Adirondacks near the Canadian border. John, good afternoon. Hope it's well where you are. It's hotter than Hades here. Heat index <laughs> near the Canadian border is 95 degrees. I've never, ever seen this type of heat. But we've got a lot to talk about, starting with baseball. How you doing? I'm doing great. I, you shared some of those photos there, you know, just having a cold beverage right by the lake. I mean, how's it going out there, Hacksaw? It's been fun. But, you know, we're a little bit removed from society. Don't have access to cable TV where I am in my cottage and do have access with the Internet. Keep your fingers crossed. We don't lose connectivity. Don't think we're going to have any rain in this next 15 minute quadrant. But we got a lot of topics to talk on the table. It's going to be a shortened version of Hacksaw's headlines today. We won't have a fans forum this afternoon, but we will return to our regular format Monday when we're back in town. John, let's talk baseball. Baseball, man. I mean, the Padres are looking good right now. We're getting ready for the all-star break. And you know, some of our guys didn't make the squad. Well, there's a lot of angles and a lot of things to talk about. Padres, of course, uh, pounded the battered Angels, winning three in a row. They got a bit of a winning streak going. The Padres are facing the New York Mets in a weekend series. The Mets, of course, have won four in a row, and they've really struggled. In fact, this is a matchup, I think, John, of the two most disappointing teams in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, Both teams have had enormous injuries. The Padres staff has been dinged up. The bullpen has kind of imploded for a degree. They are hitting now where they weren't hitting early. The New York Mets are an absolute disaster. They're starting pitching. Of their top six starters, five of them are on the disabled list for extended periods of time. And, of course, they don't have their lead closer. And then they lost Pete Alonso, their home run hitter, for a chunk of time with a hand and a wrist injury. So this is a, a matchup this weekend of two teams that desperately need wins to be able to stay in the wild card playoff race. We're heading, once we get through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Padres-Mets, we are then heading to the All-Star break. And a lot of conversation about who did not make it representing San Diego. There is no El Nino at this point, though he could be added next week if there are more injuries. There is no Blake Snell, which to me is a bit of a disappointment. But I I think there's a couple of descriptions why. Tatis missed the first 20 games of the season, started the first month really slowly, kind of swooned a little bit uh, in uh, early June. And the other factor is I think people are holding the PED violation against him. You know, the fans vote would not allow him on the team. They chose the starters. Then, of course, the players vote. He didn't get chosen there. Now, one of the reasons is great right fielder in Atlanta by the name of Ronald Lacuna, who's putting up MVP-type numbers in every category. So a little bit surprised Tatis did not get more recognition. Blake Snell, phenomenal month of June, 0.78 ERA. All those great starts combined together. He didn't do anything in April. He didn't do anything in May. His ERA at one point was like 6.92. I could understand Snell not getting in. If more pitchers break down in the next couple of days, something bad happens on the weekend to a couple of more starters, and maybe Snell gets a phone call. Maybe he still gets to go. But 
that's my response as to why there is no El Nino and why Snell did not make it to go to his hometown in Seattle for the All-Star game next week. John, your spin. Uh, I'm, first of all, I'm loving the Padres. I think, are they teasing us again? Are they turning the corner? You know, we got a couple of games where you swept the Angels, which is great. I still think you're right. I think the, the voters, I think MLB, um, authorities are still holding the, the, you know, the, the PEDs against Tatis. And it's a darn shame. That guy is an electric player and he deserves to be on that stage. But yeah, we'll see what happens. There's always these last minute replacements as guys sort of bow out with injuries. Okay, on we go. After we get done with the Padres and Mets series, we still got business to wrap up here as it relates to where this team is in the standings. They are six games out of the last wild card spot. Not the first wild card spot or the second spot, but they're six games back of the third one. They need a hot streak, more than three wins in a row and then bad outings. It's going to be a big challenge once they come off the all-star break, but let's see what they do against the Mets. As they say, battle of the two most disappointing teams. All right, now let's talk about the owners. Let's talk about the general manager. That's the next topic on the table. No changes, no firings, no more conversation. In essence, Peter Seidler and A.J. Preller are going to ignore the media and ignore the booze at home. Uh, A.J. Preller, very staunch in his support of the roster he put together. Peter Seidler, absolute belief in everything the general manager has accomplished and what the manager is doing in the dugout. Amongst the quotes from Peter Seidler, I value stability. No no changes, no firings. I know his fellow's skill set. I know his work of excellence. Bob Melvin, I respect, I trust him. And Peter Seidler's closing comment, we are going to get good. So he has full confidence, and there will be no shakeup. There will be no dismissals. Does think there will need to be any radical change on the rosters. Uh, in terms of A.J. Preller, Bob Melvin is the guy to lead this team. And by the way, the season is not 82 games. The season schedule is 162. I invested in these players. I believe in these players. These players have a track record. Our focus in essence, it should be your focus, is getting back in the race. So, John, your response to what Seidler had to say, your response to what Preller had to say. Well, I I love the fact that they came out and said something. I mean, Lee, you were calling them out for the lack of leadership. You know, they were kind of in the shadows, you know, not really making public comments. Well, this is what I wanted to hear. And we should have been hearing this months ago when they got off to a slow start. But, you know, they did make some adjustments. Nelson Cruz is gone. You know, there might be a couple more trades. I would expect they're going to go for a DH at the trade deadline. But I I like, you know, what Seidler is doing. I mean, dude ponied up all the money. I mean, you can't hate on Seidler. And, you know, he has to show a commitment to his own decision making, you know, rather than panicking at this point. So I like the decisions to come. I like the message, but still there's flaws in this roster that they've got to fix in the next month. And of course, the question is, what do they trade if they think they can rent a veteran DH? What do they trade if they think there's another starting pitcher out there they might need to go get because a chunk of their pitching staff is really dinged up? And by the way, are you willing to go over another luxury tax threshold because the implications when you go to the third level are really significant 
mm-hmm. in terms of draft pick loss and in terms of your international signing pool. So that's the bottom line on the Padres. Business as normal starts Friday night against the New York Mets. Then we get to the All-Star break, and then we come out the backside with the second half of the schedule. And we're going to talk Monday. We're going to talk Monday about what is next for the Padres beyond the All-Star break. On we go. Next topic involves the guys in L.A. The guys in L.A., man, they're they're not playing very well right now. They're struggling with their pitching, Lee. I mean, what has Dave Roberts got to do to fix this? Well, first of all, I guess we should salute Dave Roberts. There's been an awful lot of condemnation in Los Angeles and even from some people in San Diego with Dave Roberts' managerial mishandling of, of the Dodger pitching staff. But Dave Rogers has, Roberts has cracked the 700 victory mark. His career record at Los Angeles is now 701 and 419. All those division titles, getting to the World Series multiple times and winning one World Series. I mean, those are staggering accomplishments for a first time manager, 701 and 419. Now, pitching staff, Dodger Blue, disaster. Tidal wave of injuries. The injuries just continue to mount on the mound core. You know, the latest is Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw's on the injured list uh, with shoulder problems. And, of course, he had had elbow problems and he has a history of back problems. That despite winning 10 games this season and having an amazing 2.94 ERA. This setback comes on the heels of everything else that's gone wrong. And now the word this week, Dustin May is going in for double elbow surgery, both tendon and ligament. He had had a plasmid platelet injection. They thought he was making progress. The discomfort returned again while he was on the injured list. Shut him down completely. He's going to be gone nine months, which pushes Dustin May into next season. So that's a that's a significant loss. Julio Urias is back, but he's not back to where he was a year ago in terms of dominance. He's got a hamstring issue that just seems to continue to exist. They have to deal very carefully with him as to how long he stays out on the mound. Of course, there is no Walker Bueller. Noah Syndergaard could be activated right after the All-Star break, but we don't know whether or not he's worked out all of his mechanical flaw problems and gotten his velocity back. He's been back at Camelback Ranch in extended spring training. It's hard to believe that Ryan Pepio, uh, the hot young pitcher from AAA that we had flashes last year, he has yet to throw. He had an oblique injury in spring training, and he's not back on the mound yet. Tony Gonsolin uh, has just never recovered to be the kind of pitcher he was last year. He had a bad ankle injury early this season. There are trade talks at Dodger Stadium that they may go out and look for a starting pitcher. And I'll throw you three names that I've heard from the guys I network with. One of them would cost him a ton. Marco Stroman, Chicago Cubs, all-star pitcher spectacular season in his contract year. Cubbies are not going to give him away. They haven't opened any contract extension talks with him. You get Stroman, that's a front end of the rotation guy, but you're going to have to give up a lot to get him. Another one is uh, Jack Flaherty, once promising St. Louis Cardinal guy. He's on the edge of being bumped off the roster because they've got other young pitchers they want to look at. He's been good in spurts, but he's also had a lot of nagging injuries. Another one is soon-to-be White Sox free agent Lucas Giolato. Uh, At one time, was the hottest pitching prospect in Toronto. Went to the White Sox in a blockbuster trade. Pitched well first couple of years. Hasn't been the same pitcher. Some mild nagging injuries there. He's a walk free agent. White Sox have not indicated they're going to sign him. So those are three that I've been told that they, they might make a move on one of those guys. 
You get Strowman, holy cow, that puts you back in the top of the fight for first place in the pennant race. But to get Strowman, you may have to deal away a bunch of the young arms that they got stockpiled and have been developing at Oklahoma City. Your response on Dodger Blue, John? Well, well, first of all, yeah, props to Dave Roberts. I mean, 700 wins and how many? It's just been like about seven and a half seasons to get to 700 wins. That's just incredible. But remember, Lee, you were speculating about uh, Zach Granke and even Madison Bumgarner going to Dodger Blue. I mean, are those those rumors still circulating? Bumgarner has not been contacted by anybody. I think the whole reality is he's got an awful lot of mileage on that arm, John, and he couldn't he couldn't get anybody out when he was in Arizona. His ERA after he went from San Francisco to the Diamondbacks was was utterly atrocious. So it may well be he's done. Uh, and Greinke is being put back on the injured list this week by Kansas City. He's not been dominant. There's some nagging stuff going on, and I, I don't know whether it's shoulder related or it's got something to do with a groin. But at this point in time, he's not healthy, so I don't think he's going to be traded. So that's where we are. We'll see what happens. We get the whole month of July. Trading deadline comes up July 31st, John. I would think if the Dodgers are going to try to do something, they would want to do it earlier than later, earlier to get more starts out of the guy who would be the front-end pitcher coming their way. Okay, from that team, let's talk about the third team in Southern California. Oh, my God. I mean, Phil Nevin's got a mash unit on his hands. I mean, all these injuries coming on for the Angels. I mean, is this going to be the end of Shohei Otani in Anaheim? Well, your headline hits it right on the nose. Angels equal injuries. This just won't go away. It's awful. This black cloud is really terrible. Uh, Mike Trout, uh, hard-swinging, home-run hitting outfielder, having a really good season, gone. Six to eight weeks, fractured hammock bone on a swing in a game against the Padres on uh, the middle of the week. Um, you know, he just can't get out from underneath the cloud of all the injuries. Mike Trout has missed 42, 126, and now this year, 50 games in three seasons with significant injuries. Back, calf, and now broken hammock bone. That's devastating. Uh, I would say I was surprised, I guess a little bit disappointed for the fans. Otani was 0 for the entire series when the Angels played the Padres here. In fact, he's in a bit of a, a hole. He's 1 for 17, I think, in his last five games. And I, I think the fatigue is starting to show. For I mean, what he's accomplished and what he has done is utterly spectacular in terms of being a two-position player and all the prep that goes with that. And if we mention Anthony Rendon, we mention injured list, we mention disappointment. Uh, he's He's got, for the third time this season, he's got an injury this year. And this is the third year in a row. And you add all that and the fact that they've lost all three of their shortstops who are currently on the injured list. So the Angels, Angels are just completely ripped apart by injuries. And in Instead of handing a lineup card at home plate, Phil Nubbin should probably just hand out a Red Cross report. I don't know how they're going to try to stay in the pennant race right now. They've they've made some you know rental rental acquisitions uh, in the last ten days, getting Mike Mustakas and uh, getting a couple of other players on on deals, guys that are here for just half a season. Those guys haven't caught fire yet. The Angels are just they're flat running out of players. So. Really bad time for Phil Nevin. You know, at one point it looked, I think there might have been eight games above 500. Now they've, they've kind of really slid backwards just because they don't have enough guys to put on the field. Well, I tell, 
I'm I'm excited about uh, Mickey Moniak getting a shot in center field. I mean, it's a shame that Trout goes down, but this is a local San Diego kid, number one overall pick. Wow. I mean, that's a terrific to get him in there. But what about Anthony Rendon? He was so dominant with the Nationals for so long, and the guy has been constantly injured in Anaheim. It's absolutely stunning because uh, he was a bellwether uh, in that batting order at third base for the Nationals. There's a power hitting and he hit for some average. And he's been nothing but injured since he got to Anaheim. I mean, he's, he's on a, a long-term contract, and it's, it's devastating. Not only is he a bad dude, he just has had a lot of bad luck, and he can't stay on the field. And, you know, the Moniac story is amazing. Number one draft pick, Philadelphia Phillies, marched through the system and struggled as a pro, then hit some, got called up, didn't hit at all. Phillies gave up him gave up on him after three tries at the major league level. Angels picked him up, and he he kind of fought his way onto the roster. Dude is hitting around three hundred with a little bit of power as the leadoff guy, and he had never shown this before. He didn't show it in, with his three stints with the Phillies, and even in the minor leagues, he he didn't dominate anybody. In fact, he was very slow out of the gate. But uh, it's it's kind of cool. It's just, I guess, a case of just growing into the job responsibility. Hey, listen, this is special coverage, a road trip, baby. Uh, John is anchoring in our studio with our executive producer, the Black Labrador Retriever, Nona. Uh, by the way, we're the only podcast that has a mascot in America. And I'm doing co-hosting for my cottage in upstate New York near the Canadian border. Uh, so we're going to cover a lot more topics on the table. John, for everybody that joins us, uh, on Thursdays and Mondays, explain to them briefly about how the live stream works and when we get back in studio next week, uh, how they can participate, co-host and fans form. Yeah, so our schedule is we always do the live streams Mondays and Thursdays at three. I mean, today's an exception. We're kind of doing this tra- transcontinental uh, podcast. So we're recording it and sharing it later. Uh, but yeah, you tune in Mondays and Thursdays on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We're doing the live stream where you can get involved in the fans forum. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on. We're on all the audio platforms and on Facebook and YouTube. Scoreboard, baby. We busted through 2,000 subscribers. We wanted to do it by July 4th. We did it by the last week of June. Next goal, according to John, 2,500. So if you've yet to subscribe, you'll get all the alerts from all the unique things we do, not just Monday on bonus coverage on our Thursday regular podcast, but what we put on our podcast day by day. On we go. It's the offseason, but it's the middle of a very busy offseason. Let's talk basketball, John. Yeah, Damian Lillard in, in Portland, he may, he's demanding a trade to the Miami Heat. I mean, is that going to go down, Lee? John, this is the first week of free agency. The scoreboard says 33 free agents have signed with new teams in a span of five days. There were also 18 trades of draft picks and players. So it's been phenomenally busy. Now the big question, what happens next? Because what just happened in free agency Kyrie Irving stayed in Dallas. Golden State re-signed Draymond Green. Sacramento re-signed Damanis Sabonis. Milwaukee re-signed Brooke Lopez. So a whole bunch of guys that we thought were going to move the first hours of free agency, they elected to stay where they were to take max contracts. Then things changed. Damian Lillard of Portland demanded to be traded. He's had a long run there. He was dissatisfied with ownership's ability to put stars around him. 
He was upset they didn't trade the third pick in the draft to go get veteran players. He didn't want to be part of a constant rebuild any longer. Lillard wants to be traded, and he's got a full no-trade clause. And the only place I'm going to sign off on is to go to Miami. So Portland and Miami are talking mega trade. Miami's got four guards. Portland might take two of them. Portland might take, well, they're demanding the center, but I just don't think that's going to happen at the Heat are going to give up their starting center. They may get a third team involved because Portland wants more than just Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero uh, or draft picks. They want more established guys. So there may be a third team that comes into the Portland-Miami Damian Lillard trade. The other name that still has not found a landing spot is James Harden. You know, this guy has wanted out of the last three places that, that he was signed to. I think there's a risk involved because he's a guy that has to have his hands on the ball. I don't understand the Clippers expressing interest in James Harden. I've been told uh, that if indeed Philadelphia accedes to his wish and trades him to the Clippers, that Philadelphia wants Terrence Mann, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, and future draft picks. For a guy that's 36 years of age and isn't quite the same player, and then I, if we get James Harden in a Clipper uniform, then you wonder, how does he fit? How does he fit with Paul George? How does he fit with Kalia Leonard? And then speaking of Paul George, this rumor won't go away out of New York. Clippers and Knicks are talking about a Paul George trade. Now, the Knicks have got more trade parts to use in a deal. And, of course, if the Clippers were to move Paul George off the roster, They'd clear $45 million in cap space, but all the free agents are gone. So there's still a lot of, quote, unfinished business. Uh, we may see things fall in place pretty quickly, maybe by this coming weekend or next week. So that's that's the latest in the NBA. Yeah, I, I don't like Harden going to the Clippers. That seems like it's going to be disruptive to the chemistry. He's always been part of the big three with um, uh, the Nets and with the 76ers, and it just never seems to work with him in the lineup. I can't imagine it working with Paul George and Kawhi. Yeah, something, something's got to give in terms of L.A. Okay, next topic, we're talking about the teams in Southern California. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers have made some interesting moves around the periphery, around the edges. Um, and yeah, like you said, the, the Clippers are looking to maybe make a big deal. Let's start with the Lakers. They won free agency. Now, what they did was, and there was a lot of conversation, LeBron James, should he be moved? Kyrie Irving, is he coming? What are the Lakers going to do from the outside to add? And what they did was they took the dollar values they had and they spread it. I mean, they wound up signing four free agents. On top of that, they re-signed Austin Reeves, Ruri Hachimura, and D'Angelo Russell. And I never thought all three of those guys would be back. Quickly, the names on the board. Gabe Vincent, tough guy, defender, Miami. He really had a good second half of the season and a postseason. He leaves Miami, comes to the Clippers' three-year deal. Cam Reddish, outside shooter, 6'8", New York Knicks. Guy can drain threes. Why the Knicks never gave him a chance to play a ton of minutes? They have Julius Randle there. It might well be the reason Reddick gets a, a fresh start in L.A. Torian Prince, big wing player, defender, and a three-point shooter, comes from Minnesota. Don't understand the signing of Jackson Hayes out of New Orleans. He's just a young jumping jack, but they've had young jumping jacks that never really grew as a player. And then obviously... Austin Reeves elected to stay. He was a restricted free agent. He had bigger offers outside. 
The max the Lakers could give him was four years, 52. He took the money out of loyalty to stay with Darvin Ham, who really helped him develop. Hachimura got a three-year, $51 million deal. And Russell had a good season and then totally fell apart postseason. He signs for two years, 37 mil. Lakers, I think, have won the offseason. In terms of the other team in the building, the Clippers, they re-signed Russell Westbrook. And how is this for a come down? Russell Westbrook, $47 million deal, free agency. Nobody wanted him, John. He signs for two years, $8 million. Can wow. you believe that? And then they re-signed their backup center, Mason Plumley, who really played well for them in a rotation with Zubika. It'll be interesting to see if they do the Harden deal, and if not, if they do the George deal, and then what the chemistry, what the makeup of the roster looks like. So do you like what the Lakers did? Yeah, I think Palenka did some good moves there. I mean, let's see how these guys mesh as a unit, um, especially around the two big guys. You got to love the Austin Reeves kid. I mean, what a season he had and, you know, undrafted. And this kid is just was surprising everyone, you know, with all facets of the game. So he might emerge as the number three guy on that roster. Okay, John, we got a short limited window here. Let's just quickly buzz through the other topics. You wanted to talk Aztec football, basketball. Yeah, I don't know. Where is this going, Lee? I'm hearing all these rumors. And are they in? Are they out of the Mountain West? What's San Diego State doing here? Nice headline. Lawyer up because of the letters. Uh, At the end of the day, they exchanged seven different letters. San Diego State indicating they wanted to gather information, whether they could stay and if they could restructure how the exit might take place. Uh, at, At the end of the day, the Mountain West came back with a final letter that said, you resigned you owe us $17 million. Aztecs have one more year in the conference. I think San Diego State should file a restraining order. They should demand that they be allowed to continue to negotiate, let a lawyer, let the judges look at the seven different letters and the language that was contained within. They should also demand they are owed $6.6 million. That's owed earned money from TV revenue. The conference should not be holding that money back from them. And the bottom line, the stupidity of the president, De La Torre. Why would you ever send letters with, quote, we intend to resign and then ask all these questions about can we have this? Can we have that? I thought it was a terrible way to do business. John, your response? Yeah, I agree. I mean, those are the kinds of things that you do privately behind closed doors. You don't put those things in writing so people can see the negotiation play out in front of them. I just, I'm just hoping the Aztecs eventually end up in a Power Five conference. I think we were hoping it was going to be next year, but maybe we're going to have to wait a couple more. On we go. We were just talking about what a busy week in the NBA. Busy week for hockey fans, too, in Southern California. Yeah, all kinds of trades and deals, Lee. Um, Bring us up to speed on what's new in the NHL. Well, first of all, how's this number? 109 free agents changed teams in the NHL in four days. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Quickly, LA Kings. I'll use one word. Why? Why? The LA Kings, who we praised a week ago for making the blockbuster trade to get the goal scorer, Pierre Dubois, uh, from Winnipeg wound up losing their goaltender, Junis Corposalo. I guess you win some and you lose some. It may have had something to do with budget, but should this have not been planned out, he wound up going to Ottawa on a five-year contract worth $20 million. The Kings, and he was a reason they went deep in the playoffs, should have found a way to relocate money to keep the goaltender. They let him go. You know, they moved Jonathan Quick. They moved Cap Peterson. Uh, they traded for low-budgeted Phoenix Copley. 
Uh, I just don't understand that deal by Rob Blake. You make the great acquisition of Dubois, you let the other guy go. They did sign a backup goaltender. He's a veteran. He's had some success, but not recently. Cam Talbert came from Ottawa. Anaheim Ducks, what a wild week. We can call Pat Verbeek, the general manager, Mr. Fix-It. And your headline says it all. Uh, Big cap expenditures. Now, they're kind of getting criticized for overpaying. But they had $39 million of cap money, John, to start the offseason. And they got guys that Verbeek, the general manager, was familiar with in Tampa and in Detroit. And he had all this money to use. They get Alex Kalorn from Tampa Bay, two-way player. Uh, they signed him $6 million a year, which is significant, has 198 career goals. He's a bit of a sniper, but he plays at both ends of the ice. Good acquisition. You had the cap space. They got a wide-body cement block defenseman who's a tough guy, Radko Gudis. Very rugged player. I've watched him bang on people in front of the net, move people away from his goaltenders, stand up for his teammates. He's a pretty good player, but they signed him to a multi-year deal. And then they went to Detroit and got another guy Verbeek knows, Robert Hag, a stay-at-home defenseman from the Detroit Red Wings. A bit of a surprise for me. They dumped young defenseman uh, Simon Benoit, who had really done very well here with the San Diego Gulls and been up there for two years. They also did not offer Max Comtois, uh, who kind of blossomed as a rookie and hadn't done much the last year and a half because of injuries. They let them go. Two things to keep in mind with the Ducks. Could be a trade coming. Ottawa is going to move one of their goal scorers, Alex Debrincat. He he wants a mega contract. He scored 27 goals last season. Ottawa can't pay him. Ducks still have cap money. This guy could be the final fitting piece to go with all the young players that the Ducks have stockpiled. And then the fire they have to find a way to put out involves a superstar goaltender, John Gibson, who was the only thing they had of credibility in the beginning of this rebuild. Not only did he ask for a trade, and now they didn't make the trade, now there's insinuations in Canada. He's not going to report to camp, and he's never going to put the jersey on again. Uh, That's a bad story as it relates to the Ducks if their hand is forced to move John Gibson. I like him. I think he's a leader. He's been besieged. I think that the toughest thing is he needs to step back from the emotion of the moment and look at what they've got and they've developed and drafted and look at what they just spent on to get established NFL guy, NHL guys. So the duck, Ducks got work still to get done, but they, they, I think they've really had a fruitful offseason. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing these guys on the ice. I mean, they're coming to San Diego at the end of September, right? Yes, Ducks-Kings preseason game on the 29th. Yeah, okay, looking forward to that. Talk about what's on your TV. Yeah, ESPN. I mean, they're just bloodletting up there. So many people being thrown out on the street. What's going on, Lee? Well, Disney, which owns ESPN, is in a massive cutback nationwide. 7,000 they're getting rid of employees. They just laid off 26. Uh, Those were anchors. Those were hosts. Those were personalities. Those were outside reporters. They're not done. Uh, The rumors I get that the next wave of cuts are going to come from all their NFL broadcast teams. Uh, It's really bloody. Uh, there's bitterness in the building. You know, the, it was kind of shocking. They let go Jeff Van Gundy. They they let go uh, Susie Colbert, Steve Young. Uh, more cuts are coming. They wiped out ESPN Radio's morning team led by Keyshawn Johnson. And the thing that I think has really upset everybody is they're paying Stephen A. Smith $53 million to sit and yell every morning on ESPN TV. And now they just signed Pat McAfee to sit and yell in the afternoons on ESPN for $45 million. And you're letting go all these named people. It's it's pretty ugly. 
Granted, it's happening across all the media levels, uh, be it radio, be it television, be it the networks and obviously in the newspaper business. But but pay those two guys that kind of jack and you let all these other established, credible people go. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's just the whole industry is shifting, you know, people cutting the cord, uh, people looking at podcasts like the things that you and I are doing. Um, and then I, I guess they're just going to what have McAfee and Stephen A, you know, just nationwide, you know, 100 percent of the time without all the extra support. I'll grant you permission to yell at Stephen A every morning if you wish. That's fine. <laughs> Last topic okay. on the table. How about all England lawn and tennis club? Yeah, I mean, Wimbledon's going right now, but there's just been a lot of love here with our old uh, superstars in uh, in tennis. Yeah, a, a week of honor to a history of Wimbledon. Very briefly, Chrissy Everett, Martina Navratilova. Phenomenal story that has now been revealed. You know, fierce competitors, friends, enemies, a love-hate relationship. One went through bad divorces. The other went through a bad lesbian breakup. They both had cancer. And their careers, which have gone so many different directions, keep getting relinked. And now they are best of friends. I just found this amazing long-form story in the Washington Post. John, I will send it to you. It talks about the history of Chrissy Martina, likes, dislikes, loves, anger, resentment, friendships, and now supporting each other in the hospital as they've undergone four different levels of cancer. It's a phenomenal story. And they, of course, were saluted at Wimbledon. They also honored Roger Federer, who is retiring because of chronic knee problems. Royalty was there in the box next to Federer. Kate, the Princess of Wales, was there. They honored Venus Williams, who at age 43 probably has played her last uh, Wimbledon. And then obviously, on we go at center court. They had to fight through three days of rain. They got three days of backlog matches that they're trying to get scheduled. They've had problems with fans decorum. They've had problems with protesters on the court. And then you got Jokovic going after his eighth Wimbledon title. The great young uh, female star, Igor Swiatek, now looks as if she's become the one to beat for years to come in pro tennis. And we even had a five-tie, five-set tiebreaker match uh, on Wednesday night which was an all-time record at Wimbledon. I mean, it has been a wild first week at the All-England Lawn and Tennis Club, but the Chrissy Martinez story, is it's just unbelievable. Yeah, real special. I mean, just I remember following them when I was a kid. And, you know, as American fans, we loved Chrissy. And Martina was, you know, kind of this quiet, stoic woman from uh, was she one from the Eastern Bloc countries in Europe, if I recall. And we were we didn't really know her much, but. Boy, did we warm up to her in America the more we learned about Martina and what a great lady she is on the court. I mean, just a superstar. But it's neat how some players are, remain linked. If it's not Magic and Bird, it's, you know, it's Chrissy and Martina. Well, it's phenomenal. I interviewed Chrissy Everett one time, a gracious lady. And to see what she's gone through, two different types of cancer, has been catastrophic. And so far, so good. She's beaten it. And I met Martina in Cleveland, when I worked there, she was 18. She defected from Czechoslovakia, left her family behind, never saw them for five years, came here, and was one of the first female athletes to come out publicly that I am gay. And she became a leader of the cause and was embraced by tennis fans. And now to understand that she's fought back from two, two different types of cancer and is now going back on TV. But To read the link, if you get a chance, go to the Washington Post 
long form story. It's just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but to read how they have now bonded in their individual fights, now collectively their fights against cancer. It's really heartwarming. Hey, John, before we wrap up our road trip, baby, just remind everybody about subscribing and, and how they can be part of our Monday and Thursday podcasts. Yeah. So uh, be sure to subscribe, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, we're on all the audio only platforms. Yeah, definitely get on YouTube. You know, Lee was just talking about we blew through 2000, working our way up um, and the subscribers there are just booming. So get on YouTube, subscribe, follow, like, share and subscribe on all the social media platforms. Boy, the numbers on Instagram are just going through the roof, Lee. So we got a lot of uh, Hacksaw fans watching you out there on Instagram. Yeah, give us thumbs up. Give us five stars. Doggone it. We didn't have a rainstorm. We did not lose connectivity. We did not get hit by lightning here at my cottage in upstate New York near the Canadian border. John, fine job. Thanks for putting this together. We'll look forward to seeing you Monday back in the studio for our bonus coverage on Monday. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. Yeah, you too, Lee. Have safe travels. And thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com. 